FIG Ministry presents the Catholic Influencers Podcast. Join me, Alyssa Aegis, and my co-hosts, Georgia Byrne and Father Rob Galliard, as we break open the upcoming Sunday Gospels and discuss relevant topics and life issues from a Catholic perspective. For a shorter, more reflective explanation of the Gospels, be sure to check out our sister podcast, Catholic Influencers, Father Rob Galliard Homilies. We're so excited to be here in Mount Evelyn in a small country town broadcasting to you after a massive two days. Alyssa, myself and Daniel, Alyssa's husband, got to speak to a few hundred students over two days. And how are you? Tell us a little bit about what has happened over the last few <laughs> oh, days. It's been incredible. Um, Father Rob's been sharing his story. We've been sharing music and we can really see students being, being touched by, by the love of God, which is... Well, we're here. It's awesome. And Father Rob's exhausted. Yeah, we are exhausted. We're a little, it's been early starts for us, but um, we're making use of resources and we get to bring you this podcast from a new new space. How cool. Yes, this is like, this is the green room. Mm. The green room, for those of you who are seeing on YouTube, is um, the backstage room. And in front of us, you cannot see it. But we're, when we're looking this way, we see a massive stage of an auditorium which sits about 400 people. And uh, yeah, we're just blessed to have done that. And again, it's because of our ministry partners that were able to do a lot of this work. And the ministry partners we're grateful for as well for allowing us to broadcast, to have this podcast. So thank you for your support. Um, and if you're interested or like to know more about becoming a ministry partner, go to frgministry.com forward slash ministry partner. Yep. Today we're talking about something Last week, first of all, we talked about something really complicated. We spoke about the Trinity in preparation for um, Trinity, Trinity Sunday. Sunday. And a couple of weeks before that, Father Rob actually said his favorite feast was Pentecost. That's like right. super excited, but I'm super excited for this week. This is the, we're preparing for the solemnity, solemnity of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. And we're going to be talking all about the Eucharist today, which is one of my favorite. Yes, favorite and it's, it's the source and summit of our faith. It is everything. Mm -hmm. So the Eucharist as Catholics, we're going to talk about why we believe in the Eucharist. And not only why we believe in the Eucharist, but what we believe as Catholics in the Eucharist. Because sometimes there's a lot of ignorance, not because we want to, but we actually don't even know what we believe as Catholics mm. in the Eucharist. And I think hopefully throughout this thing, we're not, <laughs> I don't want to be too philosophical, so Alyssa will bring it down a little bit. Um, but what does it mean? What does it mean to believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? And so we'll, we'll journey with this, but we'll start with the, this Sunday's gospel reading. This is the third week, I think, of, of feasts. We have a lot of feasts. So we had... It's a fun time of the year, isn't yes, it? Yes, because we have solemn, the solemnity of the, um, the Pentecost, and then you have... Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday, Corpus Christi, and then... I think that's where it is. Yeah, okay. So there's think, a lot going on. I don't know. <laughs> but in between, there's also a few Marian feasts as well that have happened. So our lady in Australia, we have um, Our Lady Help of, of Christians. And, well. Yeah. yeah. So it's exciting times. But let's get to the gospel. Let's talk. Let's listen to what the Lord's going to speak to us this Sunday at Holy Mass. So this weekend's gospel comes from the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 14, verses 12 to 16 and 22 to 26. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, 
The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Praise God. I think one of the things that we need to understand is context of, of why this is happening, where this is happening. This is a very significant moment. Just imagine you knew someone who was going to die, you know, someone who is dying of cancer or someone who's on death row. If you were to have um, this relationship with this person, I think one of the things, especially if they're a teacher or there's someone you look up to in life, for example, I had a role model, Father Chris, who was, um, and I got to be on his side while he was dying. Mm. But I, I don't remember a lot of the things he said throughout his life, to be honest. But I remember everything he said just before he was dying because I was listening all years, ready, because I knew that whatever he was going to say then at his deathbed was going to be significant, was, was, was going to be like so fruitful. And so this is the moment, you know, Jesus knows that the next day he's going to die. So the disciples, the apostles are gathered. So he's basically his final, not only the last supper, but it's also the final testament. This is, this is where it is all summed up. This is the source. This is the summit of everything I'm about to tell you. This, now we're preparing for this meal. And so this is the scene of what is happening, that they're preparing now to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen to the moat for, for him to sum up all the three years that he had spent with them. And this is the summary, basically. Yeah, and he chose a really interesting time of the year to do this. Like this was the, the time of the Passover feast, a pretty important festival for the Jews. It was commemorating the exodus from Egypt. Um, and Jesus chooses this setting to for the culmination of his mission, like those final, like the fulfilling of everything that he was sent here to do, basically. Um, and so we know that Jesus is that Paschal lamb to be sacrificed. Um, and uh, there's also like an interesting preparation as he's going through this. You know, like um, there's not only the, the Last Supper that's happening, the upper room, but again, let's talk about the, the room, the, the upper room where they had, the, the, basically the lower room was the room where most people had. This is where most people lived. They didn't have an upper room. It was only the rich people that had upper rooms. And upper rooms were places, usually there was the farm or whatever, the, underneath the, the shed, um, where the animals slept. And usually people slept with the animals. Hmm. But if you were rich, you had a room on top, an upper room. And so they find this owner and they go to this upper room. And it was the upper room was often open to rabbis to, for their teachers, the teachers who with their disciples would talk. And so this preparation starts and they start to find one extraordinary thing after another. Jesus tells them to look for things and they start to see extraordinary things. Yeah, so for example, um, Jesus tells them, like Jesus had already made these preparations for the disciples to share this Last Supper. And so he's giving them these instructions to go look for this man with water jugs. Now, at that time, like mm. it wasn't a man who would carry the water jugs, Never. it was a woman. Yeah. But 
I think it kind of implies, you know, we knew that the, the high priest and the Israelites were, sorry, the, no, not the Israelites, the high priest were on the lookout for a reason to kind of get Jesus and arrest him. So I think Jesus had to make these arrangements, signals that the disciples wouldn't need to share words yes. with people necessarily, but just kind of... To keep it sort of secretive so that he wouldn't draw yeah, attention to himself. That's yes. right, because, you know, Jesus, he, he knew he was going to be eventually, like, captured, but mm. he had to wait for that right moment, and he still had to do this Last Supper before. Yes, and, and that also shows for the need for wisdom as well. Sometimes we need to be wise. You know, Jesus was wise. He didn't just go and parade himself out there at the risk of being um, arrested before he had the chance to, to do the most important thing. And so, he, yes, he used these, um, these signs, these incredible movements to eventually get to, to the Last Supper, the upper room. And it's probably the same upper room where Pentecost happened, the same upper room where um, yeah, Mary and the disciples were waiting and scared. Yeah, you so know, I th- never knew that. I got to travel to the Holy Land a couple of years ago. And when someone told me that, I was like, whoa, it's the same room. <laughs> like, um, this yeah. is the super room. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, cool. yes. And so they're in this place and the table's prepared and they're reclining at the table. They're, they're, they're talking with Jesus. They're at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand what Jesus does, I guess, in the context of what would happen at a normal Passover meal. So the traditional preparations, each family, what would happen? It would, sorry, it would start in the late afternoon. So each family's Passover lamb would be brought to the temple and after passing inspection, the lamb would be sacrificed and the blood would be sprinkled on the altar and then returned to the family to be to be roasted. And when yes. that Passover meal began, um, it would include a, ble- like a blessing by the head of the household. There'd be ceremonial foods and wines. They would retell the story of Exodus and then they would also sing hymns. So that that's what they would do in a traditional context, but then Jesus kind of takes it to another level. Yes, and well, let's uh, talk about like the tradition. The tradition didn't come out of nowhere. The tradition came out of Egypt. You remember when the Jews, when the Jewish people were um, slaves to the Egyptians and Moses comes and says, hey, we're going to escape, we're going to leave. And so they're about to leave this this place. And um, as they're leaving this place, you guys have to eat because we have a long journey ahead of us. And so he said, so what are you going to do is you're going to have to prepare your meal. Mm. And this is the meal. He gives them instructions exactly of how to prepare the meal. Now, why did he, basically they slid the throat of the, of the uh, sheep, of yeah. the lamb, and they'd let it drain. Now, they wouldn't let the blood touch the rest of the meat. So the, they would drain the, the blood before it actually was cooked. And then even when they were cooking the lamb, they had rules. Like, for example, couldn't, the meat couldn't touch the sides of the pan, of the, of the frying pan or whatever they used. And so it had to rotate on a spit and, and it had to be whole. You couldn't dissect the animal. So they needed big cookers. So it was families that would come together, big families that would come together. So it was a big, massive event. But they also had to eat it really fast because they had to escape from Egypt. Yeah. And so even traditionally, this was eaten really fast. And for example, there's no time to put the yeast, the leaven, for the bread to rise. So that's why we have unleavened bread. And that's why Jesus used unleavened bread. And that is why we receive the Eucharist, which is unleavened bread. That's something that I learned today. Yes. Yeah. So the, our bread is unleavened. So there's no yeast in the, the, in the Eucharist. doesn't mean it won't be valid because it's still bread. Okay, so if you um, consecrate bread with yeast, it would still be valid because it's still Mm -hmm. substantially bread. But um, what happens is 
then um, it, the instruction was to have unleavened bread. So Jesus, we know, would have had unleavened bread, pita bread. <laughs> he would have had, yeah. yeah. So what Jesus did was he took that bread and he said the blessing, broke it and gave it to them. So that's typical of what a host would have done at a, a Jewish banquet, but also identical to what Jesus had done only maybe a few months or weeks beforehand at the miracle of the loaves. Like yes. It was already mirroring, like it was kind of like, putting yeah. the idea out that this is going to happen and it's going to be super significant. Yes, and these are, all of these are significant. I mean, we could talk for ages for each of them. Like the, the feeding of the 5,000 is just, this is what, again, the significance of the, of the, the breaking of the bread, of, of the, uh, the multiplication of the loaves, all of this is, was at a moment where they come and they give the little that they have. You know, the, the guy who had the five bread or whatever. The, the five loaves and two fishes. Five loaves and two fishes. That wasn't enough to feed many people. You know, See, the little we have, and this is the significance as well to come to the offertory. You know, we yes. bring the limited, our finiteness. This is, a, look, this is not enough, Jesus. But if you can take and make something extraordinary out of this ordinary, here it is. And there's a multiplication. Yep. And so again, the significance of that in the final is that, that we bring our brokenness. We bring the little we have to offer God and then God multiplies that spiritually and physically in our lives. But I think one of the things as well we need to understand is that um, the, a lot of the mass that we celebrate, you know, you're going to hear the gospel and Jesus taking the bread and giving it and distributing it and all of this. Most of the Eucharistic prayer, 99.999% of the Eucharistic prayer is it's scripture. We're re-quoting scripture. Mm. So the, what happens at these moments is actually we're reading in the scripture what is happening in the prayers of the Eucharist. But let's keep going as well into the significance of, of this um, beautiful scripture verse as well. Yeah, so um, I guess what Jesus is doing um, generally at a Passover meal as well, the host would interpret each of the ceremonial foods by relating them to the Exodus. Um, and Jesus, again, as I said before, he brings this to a new level. Take it, this is my body. It's mm. ant anticipating what's going to happen on the next day, which is Jesus' passion. And Jesus identifies that broken bread as his own body about to be broken on the cross. And Jesus is inviting the disciples to receive this gift of himself in, into the depth of their being. Again, Jesus doesn't really, um, there's no mention of the lamb, which is the central element in the Passover supper. Um, the blood of the sacrificed lamb back um, at the time of the Exodus was what saved the Israelites from death. But Jesus' words, he, they, he reveals that he is that Paschal exactly. lamb and his blood is going to save not only those disciples, but many, everybody. Yes. And it's given, yeah, for those who, uh, to, to save the, the multitudes of people, even the, in the Holy Eucharist, we say, that's interesting. One of the Eucharistic changes we made in the new Eucharistic prayer is that when we say given for all, but now we say given for many. many. And so many people were upset about that change. But the thing is, you see, it's given for all, but not all can accept it. It's only for those who are ready to receive it, mm. those who are ready to, to receive it. Um, and embrace the Eucharist. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, Jesus, well, I guess I could go from there. Like it's 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 also an invitation. Like as yes. we're talking about the cup, and if we look earlier in uh, Mark's Gospel in chapter ten, I believe Jesus is talking to James and John, um, and he says that for the disciples to drink from his cup is to participate in Jesus' sacrifice, and that is sharing in his sufferings willingly and receiving the benefit of doing that, which is restored communion with God, and that's what we're called to as well. Exactly, and so this is the same. You cannot, for example example, it's with most of the sacraments, you cannot, 
You see, many people come to baptism, for example, because they want to get into a Catholic school. And that's the reason why they get baptized. And then they're not ready to commit to the life that is required of them as a baptized child. So, for example, one of the commitments we make at baptism is that, hey, this is not just a sprinkling of water. Today, you are committing your child to live as a Christian. But with that requirement is that you teach them to know, to love, to serve Jesus, teach them to fear the Lord. Now, the same with the Eucharist. Every time we receive the Eucharist, we are making a commitment, a commitment, a vow almost, a covenant with God to live as the Eucharist, to live as the presence of Christ in the world. So this is why the church says, hey, if you're in mortal sin, if you're away from God, if you're not in the right, if you're not in right communion with God, you're not ready to make this covenant. Uh, get ready and okay, it's okay if you fail, but get ready and then come to this place of covenant so that until you come to the next Eucharist, you can remake that commitment. And, this, and it's hard to live, and this is why it's for many, because some, to, in order to live a Eucharistic life, to live a life in the Eucharist, it requires a life commitment, not just a commitment to walk up the aisle to receive the, the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, heaps of stuff there. <laughs> I go on a roll. Yeah. No, it's good. I think we've covered so much of, of the gospel. And so we might, um, maybe we'll actually, for those of you who don't know, um, we do have online courses that we make and we're going to be talking about um, the mass in, in our next course, which we're super yeah. excited about. Um, but we are asking if any of our listeners um, have, been, have subscribed to one of our courses, which we'll, we'll tell you a little bit about in a second. But if you've subscribed to the courses or if you've listened to the podcast, if you want to send us a video through our social media platforms about the impact that that's had on your life um, or encouraging somebody else to do the same, we would love to hear from you. So you can do that at our Instagram profile at Catholic Influences underscore, um, or you can send us an email at podcast at frgministry.com. But we might hear about our courses now. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and learning more about your faith, have you considered enrolling into our online courses? FRG Ministry online courses cover teaching, devotional and practical elements of the Catholic faith to help individuals, teachers, students and parishes across the world grow in their faith and understanding of the Catholic Church and their relationship with Jesus Christ. All courses include high-definition videos with expert and engaging speakers, testimonies from everyday Catholics and downloadable content including interactive PDF guides, prayer cards and phone wallpapers. Online courses from FRG Ministry are also accredited for professional development for Catholic education staff in Australia. Titles include Knowing Mary, School of Prayer, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, Introduction to the Bible and more, with new courses being added regularly. For more information about enrolment and subscription options, head to courses.frgministry.com. Okay, so our dad joke this week. I'm gonna try. This is what this is a joke that I heard many years ago, and I was on an airplane with a friend of mine, and we were taking up from Malta to go to Sicily, which is a 20-minute flight, small flight. But he told this. My friend told this to me when we we're taking off. But by the time we landed, 20 minutes later, I was still laughing. <laughs> now I've repeated this joke several times, and no one ever laughs. Okay? Right. But it, for me, it was funny. Okay. okay. So there were two tomatoes in a fridge. And one tomato says to the other tomato, ooh, it's chilly in here. And the other tomato goes, ah, a talking tomato. <laughs> <laughs>
I really wanted to laugh. Like, I was really, like, praying that it would be good. It was good. It's good. It's good. Anyway, yeah, I'm not going to explain it. Let us know it. if you laughed. <laughs> All right, let's she's, talk. She's a tough crowd. Tough crowd. Yeah, I am. <laughs> let's talk about a saint. Saint me a picture. This week's saint is Blessed Alexandrina da Costa from Portugal. Oh, Portuguese. You know what? Is she from Portugal? She's from Portugal. Mm -hmm. Okay, because in Portuguese, they also speak Portuguese in Brazil. Ah. Oh, okay. That's right. You know, they don't speak Spanish in Brazil. Portuguese. I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there we go. So she's from Portugal, born in 1904, 1904, so quite recent, recent relatively recent. Relatively yeah. recent, and she died in 1955, and I guess one of the significant moments of her life was, it was actually Holy Saturday of 1918. She was only 14 years old. She was sewing in her room when three men broke into her home, threatening to assault her, and so in order to preserve her purity, she jumped out the window and oh fell goodness. like four meters down and was like severely injured. And like this led to her health deteriorating pretty badly. And by the age of 21, she was permanently bedridden, but she yes. accepted the suffering and she offered herself um, to God as a victim soul um, yes. for the conversion of sinners. And one of the things that she did was she also was in love with the Eucharist. She loved the Eucharist um, and eventually started to get so sick that she couldn't eat. She didn't eat. And the, her only sustenance, the only thing she ate every day, she was given communion. Every, yeah. Was it every day? I'm not sure if it's every day, but for 13 years, she was just nourished, no food, like just the Eucharist, solely by the Eucharist. And at one point, she only weighed uh, 33 kilos. 33 kilos. That's small. Tiny, That's, tiny. Yeah. I can curl that on my biceps. <laughs> 33 kilos, that's small. No, I can't do 33 kilos. But um, th this is amazing. And then when she was dying, she, she died of a happy death, even though she a difficult, she struggled all of her life, most of her life. Yeah. And her beautiful quote her before she died. I am happy because I'm going to heaven. What an she, inspiration. Wow. Imagine knowing like so certainly that I, I'm happy because I, I know I'm going to heaven. Mm. The, the, we should have that surety, you know, that surety, that certainty of heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. Anyway, and this, we know this also that every time we receive the Eucharist, we're promised heaven. We encounter heaven. Heaven meets earth. It's That's the right. closest place where, where heaven and earth are. It's a great segue into our topic. There you go. <laughs> so, topic of the week, the question we're gonna we're gonna answer is the Eucharist actually the body and blood of Jesus? Mm. Short answer, yes. Yes, it is. But don't switch off the podcast yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think, look, one of the things is that many people don't understand. It's not, again, that they don't know. But one of the biggest misconceptions that we can have as Catholics is to think that the Eucharist is a symbol of the presence of Christ. It's mm. a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. Well, it isn't. It isn't. You see, this is where we differ from Anglican churches. This is where we differ from any other churches that we objectively believe in the real presence of God, that God is truly and substantially present in the Eucharist um, every time we pray and we celebrate Mass, every time we receive the Eucharist, every time we approach the Eucharist. And if we all, uh, understood this, if we really understood this, we, <laughs> I mean, the way we would approach communion would change so much. But this is not only in Australia, even in America, there was some kind of study that showed that how, how people really didn't understand the real presence of Christ. Yeah, this freaked me out when I saw it, but it was um, a survey from the Pew Research Center in 2019, and basically over 43% of Catholics in the US 
believe that the Eucharist is symbolic and think that that's actually what the church teaches. Um, and so it turns out that only one third of US Catholics believe in the central teaching that the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. Yes, I remember when this survey came out, I was actually touring the United States when they released it. And uh, all of a sudden, everyone wanting me to change my talks to talks about the Eucharist. <laughs> And uh, so I started, I remember that too, all I talked about was the Eucharist, the real awesome. presence of Christ. And every time I celebrated Mass, because I, I couldn't believe it, why do we, it's not that they don't, I don't know that people decided not to believe, it's just they didn't know that the church actually teaches that. Yeah. That the church believes that, for example, if you receive the, the body of Christ, you are literally living tabernacle you are a tabernacle you are it, it, like the creator of the universe of the multiverse you, is is your food is is right there you are consuming that you are holding god and this is shows a lot not only about what god thinks of us but how god trusts us with his vulnerability Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how vulnerable every tabernacle, the presence of God is? Every time we go to a church, there's the presence, there's the, the red light there to show that there's the presence of God. God be so vulnerable that we can use and abuse God, yeah. which is crazy to think about that, but also uh, the access we have to honor and to love God every time we approach the Eucharist. I think there's a quote, is it Mother Teresa who said this, if you look at the crucifix, you will see how much God loved you then. But if you look at the Eucharist, you will see how much God loves you now. Exactly. How yes. beautiful. Like. And in fact, this is a part of our theological understanding as well, is, is that our theological um, Eucharistic understanding is, the, you know, with the idea of, of sacrifice and communion. You see, this is what it is, that we believe that sacrifice, it, this is all communion. This is what the Eucharist is. It's sacrifice, which is in the past. Uh, the communion, which is in the present, the community, and, and the, we receive the communion. And then also that the Eucharist is food for the future. Mm. So it's sacrifice, that's the source of where the Eucharist comes from. It's the communion where together we receive communion as a community and then there we find the strength, the food to be able to live our Christian life. Yeah. We have an unfair advantage, I think. Yeah. Uh, like from all Christians in the world, having the Eucharist, that's crazy. I think that, that was a story of a, of a Protestant pastor and a priest, I think, I, I, I probably well-known story, but I, I forgot who it is. And they walk into a church, um, and and the pastor, the priest, started to explain to the Protestant pastor, "Look, over here is the tabernacle, um, and we we as Catholics believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist." And the pastor looked at the priest and said, "He said, if, if I truly believed what you believe, yeah, I'd be crawling on my hands. I'd be and crawling knees. on my hands yeah, on my yeah, knees." Yeah. Like, I'd be like, uh, if we truly believed that God was truly present in the Eucharist, we'd, we'd be acting and reacting differently in many ways. Yeah, there's so many quotes from the saints. I think another one, Padre Pio said, if people truly understood the Mass, there'd be, have to be traffic, contro traffic controllers at the door. Yes, like, yeah, exactly. And, and what a beautiful yeah, blessing that we, we get to go and receive God. But I, mean, I guess how do we know that it is the body and blood of Jesus? Well, because Jesus said so himself, didn't he? Yes. He said, this is my body. This is my, this is my blood. And when he gave the Eucharist, he gave on the Last Supper. He, and you see, again, 
I, I want to explain a little bit about what we believe as Catholics. Yeah, and that's not only why we believe, but what we believe as, as Catholics. We believe in a thing. I don't know if you ever watched The Simpsons. The name is Simpsons. Uh, uh, Robert Bishop Barron was talking about this. I tend to quote him when it gets a bit complicated. <laughs> but there was, a, there was an episode of The Simpsons where um, Homer becomes Catholic. So this in this episode, and he has um, all of a sudden he, in the exam he writes here on his arm the word transubstantiation, <laughs> and but also on this arm he writes um, um, God equals good, um, devil equals bad, or something <laughs> like that. And but transubstantiation that is the theology that we believe transubstantiation a really complicated word Matt, Matt managed to put that in, in the song, song. I know, right? <laughs> very clever clever but you see transubstantiation what does that mean trans means to something beyond something that goes beyond substantiation beyond the substantiation means the process so what we're saying basically without me getting complicated here mm -hmm. is that when we pray the epiclesis and the anamnesis, when we pray for the Holy Spirit to be on the bread and wine, what happens is the actually um, it, it becomes the 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 body and the blood of Christ, even though it is visibly present. And when you look under a microscope, it is bread and it is wine. It is actually the real, the real presence of Christ right there before us, which is something so incredible, something so powerful, something so in a sense, so ridiculous to believe something like that. Yeah, and I guess Jesus had already kind of prefaced this in, in John chapter 6. And he, taught, he says, I am the bread of life. He who eats of this bread will live forever. Um, you know, many disciples even left him because of this. If mm -hmm. you look in John chapter 6, verse 66, his disciples left. Peter didn't even understand what was going on, but yeah. he said to Jesus, he goes, where else shall we, shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And so if we fast forward to, to today's gospel, we can see that Jesus is showing them how he is the bread of life through what he does in the Last Supper. Yes, and it wasn't easy theology for them as Jews. It wasn't easy the theology for anyone. And they're saying, wait, hold on. You expect us to be cannibals? You expect us to eat your body, drink your blood? What are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, but the thing is, he wanted them to understand that you become what you consume. You become what you eat. And so the thing is, it's not only consuming spiritually, but also physically. Because you see, this is one of the theologies that we can misconstrue, we can uh, misunderstand, is that our bodies are bad and our souls are good. No, the body is good. And that's why he gives us physical food for the journey for, to, to be nourished. And people walked away. They were upset. Why should we eat your body and drink your blood? And, and then he tells the people, like his disciples, do you want to leave also? And then the famous words of St. Peter saying, Lord Jesus, where would we go if I, if I didn't, wasn't with you? Like, yeah. where would I go? I guess I know for me, if you look at our church, there's so many things wrong with it. I guess the abuse scandals, all, all these things. But the teaching of the Eucharist is something that I know that I could just never walk away from, like... And exactly, yeah. it's the source and summit of our faith. Like you can, the, 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 the beautiful songs, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus, give me the Eucharist, give me the source and summit of my faith. That's all I need, that's all I want. Mm. I hope we, we've given a lot of theology I right inspired there. inspired you to get excited about, about 
Yeah, going to Mass this weekend if you're able to. Yes. And so again, please be in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. So many ways you can do that. You can shoot me an email at podcast at frgministry.com. Follow our podcast on Instagram at catholicinfluencers underscore facebook.com forward slash catholicinfluencers, Twitter at catinfluencers or our website frgministry.com forward slash podcast. Oh, and if you want to watch the YouTube video, youtube.com forward slash frgministry. Yes, and check out our online courses and also consider becoming a ministry partner to allow us to continue doing this. We have one more episode left um, next week for this season. Um, As our listeners know, um, Georgia won't be joining us. Um, And once again, we thank Georgia for all the wonderful work she's been doing for us, but we have some big things planned for season six. So make sure you follow us on social media to be in the know about all of that Um, and we'll see you again next week for the end of season six god bless god bless